thought about sitting back there a bit and seeing if I could look pretty inconspicuous and watching Bill squirm a little. But um, that wouldn't have been very nice. You know, I'm impressed that something we should do before we get started this morning. Uh, one of us has a brand new grandson. Not me, but Nancy has a brand new grandson. Great grandson. Great grandson, I mean. Well... Grandson, however, she raised the granddaughter, so it's like oh. a grandson, yes. And tell me again his name. It has slipped my mind. Benjamin. Benjamin. Wouldn't it be good for us to take just a minute and pray for little Benjamin and, and for Jessica, his mom, as we open this morning? How about let's do that? Lord, we marvel at uh, the birth of a little one. And as we hold them in our hands and caress them, Lord, we see a statement from you of your love for mankind and your provision for mankind. Lord, this morning we want to lift up one particular little fellow, Benjamin, to you. Lord, would you guard this little man's life, uh, drawing to yourself, Pray that Benjamin would be, as his namesake, would be a great man of God. That he'd walk with you, commune with you, and that you'd be able to use him. Pray for Jessica, his mom. Pray, Lord, that you'll help Jessica to, to be a good mom and to make good decisions on behalf of Benjamin. We commit them to you uh, for the honor of Christ. For those of us that are here this morning, as we look into your word, Lord, would you give us vision? And enlarge our minds, enlarge our hearts, that we'd understand a little more of your home, that place that you've prepared for us, the place we long for, that place we were designed for, of heaven. Lord, help us to see it through your word and through your spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Revelation, I'm going to pick up at 21, read a little, and then... Also in 22. So read with me. Uh, familiar. We read this last week, but I'd like to recap it. Uh, Revelation 21 and the beginning of 22. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven say, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, 
the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burned with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And then, come down to chapter 22, the opening few verses with me as we read it. And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of his street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Last week I started in chapter 21 and tried to talk a little bit about, and we sure, certainly aren't uh, covering the whole of these two chapters, but tried to talk a little bit about uh, what will make heaven so heavenly, the people that are going to be there. And you noticed as we read that, probably those that were here would be able to recapture that we talked about the people that would not be there, the unbelieving, those people who did not regard God in this world. And then the people who would be there. First, the Lord himself. And we can't lose sight of the fact. You know, we tend to be very me-centered. Am I the only one, or are there others here? And we tend to think of everything revolving around us, both in heaven and earth. And when we project ourselves into heaven, we tend to think, what is it going to be like for Phil in heaven, or Jeff, or whomever? What's it going to be like for us? And... And the, the central figure of heaven isn't Phil. The central figure of heaven is the Lord himself. And it will revolve around him. He has created for us an unbelievable place. But he's the center of it. And what, one of the things that's going to make heaven so heavenly is that the Lord himself will be in our presence, will be with him, will be in his presence. And then thirdly, the group that will be there are God's redeemed, completed, perfected people. That would be the believers of this age, those people who come to faith in Jesus Christ. This morning I'm going to try in a few moments to, to look at the place called heaven. Last week the people, this week the place. And as you read through the description in Revelation 21 and 22 that John gives us, I think it's a little like a blind man trying to describe the Grand Canyon. Because there is so much here that, that our mind can't get there. For instance, can any of you picture streets of gold? Can you picture them? Can you picture the physical environment of heaven? I can't get there. The things that we hold as the highest treasure on earth, the thing that sets the value of all else on earth, gold, is going to be under our feet which I think indicates that its worth, its relative worth, 
to the more important things of heaven. And then the city itself, roughly 1,500 miles in every direction, a cube. And amazing, all, all of this description, but I think there's more there than the physical description. Uh, Paul said, uh, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So our, our mental senses, the gates to our mind, the mind, uh, the, I mean the eye and the ear, they, they can't comprehend the things that God has prepared for them who love him. They're beyond the comprehension of these natural senses. Don't you think that's what he's saying there? They're beyond us. And so if we can't get our mind around them, don't feel too bad. Uh, because nor can any man. But uh, again, he says in Ephesians, He has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And why did he do that? So in the ages to come, he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kind, kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So what's it going to be like? Well, he's going to show us in the ages to come, uh, as we are with him, He's going to show us the exceeding riches that he's given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, I think it helped me to think about some parallels to the first Eden, to the, to the original creation, and the new creation. And walk through this with me a little bit, and just kind of let your mind go back to the early Genesis chapters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And in the end, God creates a new heaven and a new earth. In the old, God created a perfect habitat for man. And there was a river flowing out of it. And the tree of life was in the midst of it. But in the new, the river will flow from the throne of God. And the tree of life will be fully accessible to all. You know, the word tree, uh, I could use it in a singular or a plural sense. I could use a species of tree, I could say maple tree, and how many maple trees are there in Randolph? In our property, there's numerous maple trees. And the tree of life is the species of tree. But as you read about them, they're scattered throughout heaven, they're not just one. They're all over the place, because they're on both sides of the river, and they're accessible to all people. So in Eden, there was a tree, but in heaven there's access to the tree of life for all. In the old, God was in the garden and he walked with man. In the new, God will be with man forever, not temporary. In the old, God created a man in his image. And in the new, we have a new body fashioned like his glorious body, like the body of Christ. And we're going to carry his name and be just like him. In the old, man fell. The curse became a reality. And in the new, we read the curse is lifted. It's gone. In the old, death entered creation. In the new, death is abolished forever. In the old, the Redeemer is promised. And you see it there in those early chapters of Genesis. And in the new, the Redeemer reigns. He's on the throne. He's fully established as the King of Kings. So back to the question. What will make this place, heaven, so heavenly? You know, the beauty of heaven is beyond my comprehension. And I'm not even going to try to describe it. 
I'm not going to pray. You read through those verses, and I'm going to really disappoint Carl this morning. Because I'm not going to try to describe heaven, Carl. I'm not going to try to go through all of those wonderful visual pictures that is heaven. But I don't also do not want to undervalue the physical place called heaven. Eden was a real and physical place. The new heavens and the new earth will be real and physical places. So I don't want to undervalue that. And nor do I want to undervalue the majesty of it. It's going to be an amazing place. But I'm not going to try to describe it. I'm going to go a little bit different direction this morning. When I read through chapter 22, track with me for a moment. He showed me a pure river of water. The water of life, clear as crystal. We've all stood by a beautiful brook and watched the water run through us. The difference here is there's no pollution upstream. Uh, it's going to be a perfectly clear water. And look where it's coming from, from the throne of God. And I think it speaks of God's provision forever. Uh, water is an absolute essential to life. One of the great mission works around the world today is getting wells into places where they don't have usable water. And the Lord's going to provide for us this, this river, this great crystal river that's clear as it can be, and it's coming from his throne. Secondly, there you notice he talks about the tree, the tree of life, providing for us the sustenance that we need. We have a peach tree. Peaches are fruit from heaven. You guys know that? They are. I'm absolutely sure of it. There are going to be peaches on these trees. Last year, we had more peaches than we've had in the combined six or seven years that they've been buried. We had wonderful peaches last year. And there is nothing better than walking out to the peach tree, picking about a half a dozen peaches, taking them in, and I like them carved, and, and then a little bit of whipped cream on them. <laughs> That's good stuff. You know, those are the kinds of things that we're going to feast on throughout eternity. The Lord's going to provide it, and He's going to give us the appetite. Sometimes I have an appetite for things that aren't so good. The Lord's going to change my appetite to only those things which are profitable. We're going to eat of those trees. And then he talks about the healing of the nations, the Lord providing for the well-being in every way. So, his provision. And then, look at, uh, at uh, verse 3. And there shall be no more curse. He, he talked about some of the implications of the curse. We read it a moment ago in chapter 21. He says he's going to wipe away the tears. There's not going to be any death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of those things are bound up in the curse. Well, in the new heaven and the new earth, the curse is going to be gone. He's going to remove it. And we are going to worship him as we've never worshipped before. You know, I mentioned last week to some of you guys, I think I picked on Charlie last week. I'll pick on him again. Now, I asked him to conjure up a vision of heaven. And then I asked him, did you have a vision of floating around on a cloud with a harp? And I think he said, maybe. Uh, but, but that's not the vision of heaven that the Lord would have us take away. And as we go through this, we'll see that. He talks about us serving him. I don't know exactly what we're going to do in heaven. But have you heard anything about the number of stars that are out there that we're discovering? Those are all in God's domain. They all belong to him. 
And can you imagine us somehow helping to superintend this universe? I, I'm not sure what we'll do, but I know it'll be a perfect service. It'll be something that we love to do. Because he's changed our hearts and serving him is going to be the desire of our heart. Uh, he's going to give us a, a perfect vocation. Uh, not even building houses, Bill. It's going to be better than that. Uh, building the universe. Perfect habitation, a perfect provision, perfect vocation. Uh, and when I think of a perfect vocation, some in this room have lost a job within the last week or two. That is really unnerving. Especially when you're not a 20-year-old. Uh, when you're along in your vocational years. And, and the unrest that that brings. Do any of you ever think about jobs? And some of you guys who are in your wage earning years, do you think about what's going to happen to my job? Can, how can I continue to provide for my family and make a living? All of that kind of stuff is gone. Because the Lord's going to give us a perfect vocation. And He's the boss. So there's not going to be any inequity from the outside. Uh, the, the boss will do right by us always. No un unrest from within, no unrest or no inequity from without. You know, about 15 years ago, and, and bear with me on this illustration. Uh, I'm take a minute to capture it. Uh, in the public schools, and particularly in California, they decided to invest, and I looked for the article and couldn't find it because I would like to have given you the exact investment number. It would stagger you. It was multiple millions of dollars that they were going to invest in the schools to help children to raise their self-esteem. And they developed a series of exercises that they used in the schools. And here was one of them. This this was one of the early exercises, and they've, they've no, now taken note that it's flawed. It doesn't work. But they made a box for the children, and the box said, who is the most important person in the world? And guess what was in it when you opened it up? Go on, take a guess. A mirror. And so the, what they were to teach the children is that you are the most important person in the world. Now, we are important to God. And I, I don't want to diminish that either. We're so important to God that he died on a cross for us. Yeah. We're that important to him. <coughs> but do you know, there are other people in this world that are more important than the guy looking back in the mirror. And certainly, the Lord is among them. But later, that someone observed this and they saw it wasn't working. And here's one of the tests that proved it wasn't working. They surveyed high school students in the public schools. And they asked them questions about their academic achievement. For instance, how do you think you are doing relative to others in your class? And it was an amazing thing that students in the U.S. who had gone through these self-esteem training, almost all of them said better. Most of them said much better. They surveyed a like number of Oriental students. And they asked them the exact same question. What do you think they said? You're right. They said, we're worse. Much worse. And do you know what the test proved? The, the test proved exactly the opposite. That in all of our efforts to build self-esteem, 
in, in our country, and all the millions of dollars we invested in it, we had created people to fail. Uh, it didn't work. Well, but, but when I saw that survey, here's the five components they use now for healthy self-esteem. Now listen to these. They didn't have God in mind. And they didn't have this section in mind. But listen to what they said. He's, here are the five components they use to measure healthy self-esteem for students today. The first is a sense of security. The second is an identity. The third is belonging. The fourth is purpose. And the fifth is competence. Would any of you argue with those? I don't think so. Those are great standards. But what they didn't realize is they just described heaven. Think about it a moment. And think about the text that we read. Uh, not what the educators had in mind, but security, perfect rule, perfect provision, the water, the trees, the security of God's rule, uh, no uncertainty futures. That's heaven, isn't it? Isn't that a principal part of what heaven is? Forever and ever. Then, then he says the identity. Um, what greater identity could there be than to carry the image of God? What greater identity could there be, as he says here, that will bear his name on our foreheads? What it's talking about is us being totally aligned with God in every way. Our hearts are totally in kindred spirit with his. We're going to be just like him. We're going to be like God. Wow, what an identity. Hmm. Belonging, home at last. Amen. Uh, that's where we're designed for. You know, Eden was, what a home. If you can read the early chapters of Genesis and not long for it, you didn't read it well. Read it again. And if you can read the description of heaven and not long for it, then read it again. It's home. It's what we were designed for. It's what the Lord would have for all of us, is to be home with Him. Home at last. Well, belonging. And then, uh, <coughs> purpose. Well, serving the King wholeheartedly. I, you think of a better purpose than that in life? Is to be free, finally free, from the, from the old restrictions and the old restraints on me. To be free to serve the King wholeheartedly. Uh, great purpose. And then the last one was competence. Well, under his reign we will be totally enabled. We won't have to worry about competence anymore. You know, Blaise Pascal said, and there's a quote that you probably have read. Uh, do you know who Blaise Pascal was? I had to do a little review in my own mind. He was a brilliant man, a French man who lived in the 1600s, who... Uh, was well known for his, his uh, advances in math and science. He developed really, I, he was the first one to really make hydraulic power usable. He developed a system wherein you could use the power of fluids and pumps and so forth. And he figured it out in some really unique ways. Brilliant man. And some of his mathematical, mathematical formula, I'm not a mathematician, I wouldn't understand it. I looked at some of his formulas. I didn't know what he was talking about. But later in his life, he, through an encounter with a Christian friend, he learned about the Lord Jesus. And he began to think about the Lord. And he became, really, an equally brilliant 
philosopher from the standpoint of biblical understanding, understanding the world we live in through scripture. And Pascal, this, this is a quote that you've read probably and heard it. It actually started with Augustine and then it was credited to Pascal. It says, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus. Amen. That's a good quote. Amen. But I found the actual <coughs> quote. Uh, that quote's kind of a rough paraphrase. But listen to the actual quote from Blaise Pascal. And listen carefully. He's 39 years old when he dies. Near the end of his life, his health was terrible. And near the end of his life, he has thought through the world, its values. He's thought through his intellectual attainments. He's thought through all that he's seen. And here's what he's concluded. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But there was once in man true happiness, of which all that now remains is empty print and trace. And then he tries to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, that are not there, the help that he cannot find in those that are. So he sees mankind on this search, this quest, to, to fill the void in him through the things that are around us. And he says it doesn't happen. Then listen to his conclusion. Since this infinite abyss he's talking about inside can be filled only with an infinite and an immutable object. In other words, by God himself. You know, God created mankind in the garden and put them in a perfect place. I long for Eden. I long to walk with God, don't you, in the still of the evening in the quiet. Not going to happen on this earth. But one day, coming down from heaven, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth passed away. And what's going to happen? Well, he showed me the pure river of water, the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the land. And in the middle of the street, and on either side of the street, the tree of life, which bore the twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads. No night there, no lamb. No light, for the Lord gives them light. And then look at the last phrase of verse 5. And they shall reign forever and ever. <coughs> Wouldn't it be sad for anyone here to miss that? Wouldn't it be sad? Wouldn't it be sad to pass through this life and try to fill the void within with these things that simply are inadequate to do it? Wouldn't it be sad? Because the Lord has something better in mind for us. The Lord created us for heaven. The Lord created us for communion with Him. And one of these days, we're going to have it fully.
Why don't we pray together for just a minute, just in the quietness of our own thoughts.